Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am Mike McDonald. I'm your host of the show that you are currently listening to, which you listen to every week. I'm coming to you from Akureyri. 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 Uh, it's in Iceland. It's in Iceland. I'm in Iceland right now, which explains to you, the listener, the potato quality of my recording because I neglected to bring a microphone with me this week. So sorry about that in advance. However, I have a great show for you today. My guest today is Michelle Madrid Branch. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. She uh, is not with me in Akudetti. Rather, my wife Anne is with me in Akudetti, and we are having a great time over here. We just got here. We spent the last few days in Reykjavik, exploring in and around Iceland. Went to the Golden Circle, saw some geysers, saw two geysers, Stroker Geyser, which is like the more uh, action-y one that explodes with geysery action every few minutes, about every three minutes. They say five to eight, but I, I timed it, and it's like three minutes each between explosions, and just short of that. So I, I recorded those. They're very cool. Uh, I'll post more about them on Twitter and Facebook and stuff, and you can see those there. Uh, we also went to Goldfoss, Goldfoss, which is a really cool uh, waterfall, and a couple other things, like Thingvalir. went to Thingvalir. Uh, which is apparently where they filmed some things for Game of Thrones, which is beyond the wall. It's the land beyond the wall where the wildlings are. Allegedly, there is a Game of Thrones tour that goes through there. They can, you can go on if you come to Iceland and explore beyond the wall, as well as other locations. Uh, and apparently only one person has walked away disappointed, and that was a Japanese tourist who was disappointed that there were no real-life wildlings wandering around Thingvalir. A, volca- a formerly volcanic area. So sorry, Japanese tourists and other disappointed guests who want to see some wildlings. It's a good thing he wasn't asking to see any trolls or uh, giants or things of that nature because they were not there either. Anyways, uh, I'm, I'm here in Iceland. I, you know, I enjoy it. I'm having a good time. There's a lot to see and do. I highly encourage anybody who likes to travel and go outdoors to come to Iceland. Oh, we went inside a volcano the other day. That was pretty rad. I guess that's the only place in the world you can do that. It is not an active volcano. It is a former magma chamber, apparently, where the magma, I guess, for inexplicable reasons that they don't know, uh, the magma left that chamber intact, and the crater around it did not crumble. So you can actually take like a German window washing uh, lift, basically, down 120 meters into the volcano, take a look around, it's pretty rad, and then come back up and uh, hopefully it's not raining like hell like it was when we uh, left that area. But it's very cool, highly recommended to anybody who wants to come to Iceland. Anyways, that's all for now. Uh, I will uh, divest the rest of my time to the interview with Michelle Madrid Branch. Enjoy this conversation with Michelle. Enjoy. All right, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for coming on. I'm really excited. So you're uh, is somebody you work with. Is it Heather who uh, contacted me? Yes, Heather Lay. She's fabulous. She's yes. my a publicist and assistant. Yes. Okay, great. I think this is the first time I've actually worked through like a publicist to get, have somebody on the show. So it's very exciting. She makes my life a lot easier and she makes things move pretty smoothly for me. I'm very grateful. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> pretty <laughs> awesome. You sound like a very busy person. Life is full. That's for sure. It's all good. And it's it's very full with three kids and three dogs and you know, the busyness of it and then, you know, writing and um, just advocating on behalf of um, those who might feel they don't have a voice because of their situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I see here that you've uh, definitely written a lot over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the subjects of your books usually? Well, you know, initially, because I'm an international adoptee and I'm very passionate about Um, helping to remove stigma um, about the the process of adoption, but then also about those children who are waiting for forever families. And so I started initially writing books on adoption. I wrote um, a first children's book called The Tummy Mummy. Um, I'm adopted from England. 
um, originally. I'm half Spanish, half English. And um, so when I was uh, a little girl in foster care in England and sort of growing up after being adopted by Americans, I always referred to my birth mother as my tummy mummy, as we say in England. Um, and it really helped me to, I don't know, sort of identify um, who she was in my life. And it was a way of connecting to her. So I wrote a book called The Tummy Mummy that really um, shows respect for what is called the adoption triad, child, birth parent, and adoptive parent, and sort of the love that inspires adoption and sort of respect for all. And I think that's such a key thing to understand that, um, you know, children of adoption um, come into our lives with um, a story and with with people who are part of the very fabric of who they are, and that has to be honored and respected, and it needs to be talked about. So that was the first book I wrote. Then I wrote a book called Adoption Means Love, Triumph of the Heart, which is sort of the full tapestry of adoption, adoption from you know international adoption to foster care adoption to private domestic we hear from um, birth parents, adoptive parents, adoptees, um, those who have maybe aged out of the foster care system without being adopted. Um, I wanted to give voice to those who feel silenced um, through being removed from family or, in the case of foster care, sort of shuffled around from home to home, those who maybe feel that their voice doesn't matter when the very fact of the matter is we need their voices and we need to hear from them. So that book was to give voice to the voiceless in that way. Um, when I adopted my daughter from Ethiopia, I was very inspired and moved um, to begin writing for women and reaching women in a place um, or in the place where maybe they feel um, that they've been abandoned in their lives, not through perhaps being in a foster care situation or being adopted, but just abandoned um, mm -hmm. in ways that we can feel voiceless and maybe rejected. Um, those those types of experiences can leave some deep wounds, and I think we need to talk about them. And so I wrote a book called Mascara Moments, Embracing the Woman in the Mirror, and how do we become our own best friends as women? How do we love ourselves more? How do we see value um, in, in the times that have been tough in our lives? How do we find the richness in that and heal in those broken places? Um, so now I write... Um, in addition to being a voice for those in the adoption arena, I write for women as well, and I love it. Great. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, yeah, that's good. It's good. <laughs> it's less work on my part. Sorry. Like, no, it's good. I got So I got a couple little good tidbits there. Uh, we're going to go back to the beginning for you. So you yeah. were born in England. You're actually the first person I think I've had on the show who's not a transracial adoptee, but you're definitely still an international adoptee. And yeah. so I raised a couple different aspects of the show that I haven't addressed before, uh, maybe you can enlighten me on. So, you know, things like you said you were born in England. I'm not familiar with the adoption system from England to America. Maybe you could explain that a little bit. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting because when I was placed into foster care, um, I was marked as a difficult-to-place child in England because they considered me dark. And so um, I'm not necessarily, I didn't know, transracial, but I certainly was viewed as um, um, a curiosity to to those um, social workers in the, in the system at the time. Mm -hmm. They didn't quite know what to do with me. And also the circumstances surrounding my my placement. I was placed in foster care because my mother whose English had had an affair with um, a Spaniard, and I was a product of that. And so I was sort of secreted away into foster care. So there was some shame um, connected with, you know, all of it. And I think as a child, I felt that shame. Um, and I do feel that in some way, because I look so different from my my birth mother, I look very much like my Spanish father. I feel like there was a shame that um, was sort of transferred onto me. And I related that in some ways to maybe the fact that I look so different from my mother, maybe the fact that I was darker. And maybe it's in some way in the world's eyes, that's not 
deemed as good enough or worthy enough. And so I definitely had issues with, um, with, with my own, um, color, with my own tone, with my own background. Um, at the time, you know, it wasn't easy to adopt from, um, the UK. My American parents were living there at the time and there had been a small window opened to where um, international adoptions were taking place, and they sort of took advantage of that, and that's how I ended up here in, in the States. Uh, I'm very grateful for it, but I will say that it was hard. It was hard to be a kid growing up knowing that I had been um, placed into foster care by two par- my, my two parents who made the decision to to put me um, in a place that wasn't um, in their home, you know, my my birth father was not married; he was single, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't want to be a father, so he, you know, made that decision. My my birth mother was married with three children of her own, and and there was not space for me because mm-hmm. of the infidelity, right. and so there was a lot going on in my head growing up, not just with sort of the tone of who I was, the physicality of that, but also I think just the emotional, um, the feelings of being left in such a way that made me feel pretty unworthy at the time. Mm-hmm. It's been a process and a journey of healing to find my worth, my self-worth again, for sure. Yeah, of course. And how old were you when you were placed in the foster care and then when you were adopted? Um, I was only with my, my birth mother for a short time and then she placed me into foster care as a baby. And then I, I moved to the United States at the age of seven. Oh, okay. And But I had been adopted prior to that um, and lived with my American family for a while in England prior to coming to America. Mm-hmm. All right. So what was it like moving straight from England to America? So well, first of all, I guess I want to ask, what were your parents doing in England? Oh, that's a great question. My father, my American father was in the U.S. Air Force. Okay. So they were stationed in England, and one of the reasons that I was placed with my American family is that um, my adoptive father was in the U.S. Air Force, and the the husband of my birth mother, although not my father, was um, in the Royal Air Force. So I mm-hmm. think uh, social services sort of saw, well, there's kind of a match there, and let's move the Americans sort of up to the top of the list, wow. and that's how that came together. Um, moving to the States, I think growing up was, um, kind of confusing for me. I didn't look like anyone in my family. Mm -hmm. And so questions off the bat, I mean, right at the start came to me as a child of, well, you don't look anything like your parents. Um, how did you end up in this family? And then, so because I, you know, I was my very olive toned skin, long, dark hair, big almond brown eyes. And my parents were very, very Caucasian. And, and so people would ask questions. Like blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. They have, you know, light skins, you know, more um, lighter hair and lighter eyes. And so the questions were pretty obvious, I think. And, um, and I know that people probably were well intended, but the questions hurt and they made me feel awkward and, mm-hmm out of place and they would say things like, well, it's so nice of your parents to do something like this. Yeah. Um, and it made me just feel, um, awkward and, um, odd. And I had a real tough time growing up, just struggling with my own identity Mm -hmm. and what was my right to claim who I was before adoption Um, did I have the right to claim that person in this new setting? My name was changed when I was adopted. So I, you know, there was a, there was a new name. Everything seemed, um, new and different. And, um, I just remember feeling pretty awkward as a kid and I didn't feel worthy of love because Mm. I, everyone told me how great adoption was and, I knew that it was that I had this family that was super excited for me to be in their in their family unit. Yet I felt um, I felt a little bit um, displaced and like a fish mm-hmm. out of water, and I didn't know how to direct those feelings. Sure, and it, as a kid, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, I feel like 
energy devoted towards that or anything like that. You always get those comments that are like, oh, well, you're so lucky to be adopted or your parents did this really great thing. But it's like, how is that supposed to make you feel? Because <laughs> it doesn't replace yeah. the loss that you was that took place. Uh, so you definitely, you know, it, you, every adoptee kind of goes through that. Um, so it's interesting to hear that, like, regardless of the scenario, that, that still happens, I mean, as, as an adoptee. Uh, so how did you start to cope with those issues, those feelings? Boy, I think you've just said something that's so poignant and so wise and so important to talk about because we don't talk about that. Um, I remember feeling that if I said something, if I questioned or if I let my adoptive parents know that I felt confused and sad, that maybe they would see me as ungrateful mm -hmm. and imperfect. And then in my mind, what happens to imperfect things? They get sent back. And so I felt like I must have been imperfect for my first parents to walk away from me. Mm. And certainly if I voice anything outside of what would maybe seem perfect in my adoptive parents' eyes, that I would risk being sent back by them as well. So all those feelings, that emptiness inside of me where I didn't feel so happy inside, I didn't let that out and I didn't share that because I, I really thought that that would, that, that would look some way um, ungrateful, imperfect, and that was very risky in my mind to let that show. And so I did, I, I did hold it in. And I think that is, um, I think that's very damaging to children, mm -hmm. adopted or not. You know, children need to feel very safe in expressing feelings that might um, not seem to be the most perfect feeling are the most perfect thing to say because we know that no one's perfect and children need to be need need to be able to express these feelings and and i think in order to really come to a place of knowing who they are on their own being able to stand in that place of who i really am is so important and for that to be honored and it might be a little bit different um, from what the adoptive parents thought, you know. I mean, I don't think my parents ever, my mother once said to me, um, you know, well, we saved you from that situation. And I thought I would just bring you to America and you would just be my American girl. Mm -hmm. And I am an American girl. I'm very grateful to this country. I mean, I, I've been given a lot of blessings living here and I'm, I'm very much, um, very, very proud um, of that part of my story. Um, but it, when you take a child out of a country, out of a state, out of a home, uh, out, they, of a that history still <laughs> out of a culture, that, that history still remains and mm -hmm. it must be honored in order for the child to grow whole and healthy with an identity that's intact. Otherwise, the identity becomes severed and the child becomes more and more confused and then they grow into confused adults who don't feel so good about who they are because they don't know who they are. And that's the greatest tragedy, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think kids have a hard enough time trying to figure out their identities, especially as teenagers to begin with. For the adoptee, it's yeah. you know, exponentially <laughs> larger in scale. Yeah. Um, it's interesting what you said about um, your parents and what you did with your grief and holding it in and it really – your feelings almost being like an existential crisis. Like I can't even show these feelings out here because I might risk like the way of life that I have now, they could send me back at any time. I mean, unfortunately uh, in the case of some adoptions that that is the case, you've seen it in with these parents who have adopted uh, Russian children who weren't ready and able or willing to take care of the kid and they send them back. And it's, it's really unfortunate. It's very sad that those kinds mm -hmm. of things happen. So for adoptees, uh, for adoptive parents to kind of recognize whether or not the child is expressing that, that there could be a very real feeling that they have and that they need to be able to express those feelings uh, in an outward way, in a safe way. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Bravo. Thank you for saying that. Yes. Growing up. Uh, and, and where did you end up growing up? Was he still in the Air Force when you got back to America? Yeah, so I sort of grew up all over the place. Yeah. I, ended up, um, we went, we, I lived a little bit in South Dakota, um, which was interesting for me because the people sort of looked like they were, they were you know, the Native Americans 
um, I resembled them. And so I felt in some way connected to them. And then I, um, we grew up or I grew up, um, in other states, Texas and Florida, a little bit on the Gulf coast of, of Mississippi. We just sort of moved around a lot. Um, and I think that was hard too for me because I, I'm not sure I ever felt like I had a true home mm. again. Um, home is where the heart is. I know ultimately, <laughs> but I, I think, um, there were times where, home seemed just very temporary for me growing up. Mm -hmm. And that would be the same for any child who maybe um, has a parent or parents in the military. You do move around, right? Mm -hmm. And so you learn how to make friends quickly. You learn, um, I think I probably learned in some ways, good or for better or for worse, how what safe boundaries meant for me. Um, because saying goodbye was never really easy for me. So I probably right. in some ways had sort of an arm distance friendships, you know? Um, so maybe that, that made it easier for me. I don't know. in in, in the times where we had to move, but yeah, we, I lived in a lot of different places growing up, but looking back, I'm glad that I did because it taught me a lot about um, sort of how to, um, become your own best friend and how to um, be okay with being in new situations and how to be able to um, sort of be still with who you are and appreciate who you are and the talents you have. And so maybe in some way looking back, although I probably did not feel this way at the time, it was a blessing for me to um, have lived so many different places growing up. Yeah. Did you have any siblings or anything or were you kind of just uh, by yourself with your parents on these road trips everywhere? Right. No, it's a good question. It's kind of both because I had two adoptive brothers, but they were much older than me. So I, in, in some way, I didn't have any sisters. So in some ways I did feel like um, the only child. Um, I had these two big brothers that I, you know, that were fabulous and great, but they were, you know, moving on and out of the house long before me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what did, where did they end up in uh, South Dakota and all that with you in Texas? Or were they kind of out on their own by then? They were in South Dakota with me and I think Florida with me. And then pretty much they were out on their own. Mm -hmm. And how, how was your relationship with them growing up? It was good. Um, I have two very loving brothers and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um Again, you know, I think because they were older, I didn't confide in them a lot mm. about my feelings. I can remember one time, though, being in elementary school. I think it was first grade, um, second grade. I don't know, something early on, very early on. And um, my eldest brother was in high school. And I remember um, a child saying something to me that really hurt my feelings on the playground about being adopted they had found out that I was adopted through their parents and they said uh, something back that like I wasn't loved as much or some mm -hmm. you know you weren't wanted or something yeah, and yeah. I remember coming home and just crumpling to the ground you know almost in fetal position and just crying and talking I did talk to my brother on that particular occasion um but I didn't have I don't know I didn't open up a lot with them about my feelings I didn't open up with really anyone about my feelings. I truly kept it inside. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so as a Korean adoptee, there were a lot of resources for those kinds of things for kids anyways, camps or workshops, that kind of stuff. It's even more abundant now. Yeah. Uh, with the military, did they provide any of these kind of resources? Cause adoption is one of those things that I'm not saying that they push it on the military, but you know, the military right. travels to a bunch of places and the option is always open when you're somewhere else. I, yeah. Or so I've heard to, to adopt. Um, clearly in England, it was a scenario there. So w was there anything on base for the Air Force that they kind of provided or that you were aware of? Not that I'm aware of. Now, there may be more in the offering for that now. I don't know. But at the time, no. And I do know that um, I sometimes felt like I was the only person in the world, um, a adopted and then internationally adopted. I just felt like, no, is there anybody else out there? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
Yeah, so I I um I I don't remember that at all. I don't remember any kind of support. I don't remember it ever really being something outside of my home that was celebrated. Mm. I just remember adoption being very secretive. If someone was adopted, they just didn't talk about it, you know, yeah. and sometimes we're instructed not to, quite frankly. Really? Mm-hmm. By who? Who's who's telling you? Well, I I think sometimes parents. I had I had one particular friend who was adopted in my class. And I remember finding out when his parents literally said, don't talk about it outside of the home. And I think at the time they were just, um, they were afraid, you know, they were protective of their child, Mm. but you know, there still are parents today who um, worry about um, talking to their children about their adoption, you know, and, and some parents who reach out to me and say, I've not told my child yet Mm -hmm. that he or she is adopted. What should I do? When is the appropriate age to talk to them about it? So that's a real pressing, I think, um, weight on parents who have adopted, you know, how do I talk about it? When do I talk about it? Um, well, so what is your answer for them? My answer is now, I, this is coming from me as an adoptee, also as a parent of two children who are adopted, one from Russia, one from Ethiopia. Um, I believe that it's the truth. And so the truth shall set you free. And you tell your child the truth from the very beginning. When you set that, um, that pattern of truthfulness, um, then that you have set a foundation for health and for well-being. And it doesn't mean the truth's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be times when there's going to be a lot of tears and there may be some anger. There may be some misunderstanding. But I promise you that the truth is always the best option. So you tell them that they're adopted mm-hmm. because there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's hard. It's real. It's life. But ultimately, it's beautiful. And so, I, and, and there are those who would disagree with me about that. I, I understand that. And I, I honor their voices, but I have to honor my own voice when I say that um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And so we tell them that they're adopted from the very beginning. And then as they grow and as they go and as they ask questions, you facilitate those conversations and you give them the information that you have. And if you don't have it, you're truthful about that too. And if they want to try and find it, then you say, I'm right here for you. I'll roll up my sleeves and I'll be here and we'll go on this journey together. But they don't need to feel isolated. They don't need to feel that they cannot ask or they don't have a voice in this way. They need to understand their truth and they need to know it's okay to be adopted. And that Quite frankly, it's a beautiful part of their being that should be celebrated because through adoption, we learn so much, I think, about ourselves. I think we have a way of looking at the world that, quite frankly, may be different from any other experience out there because I believe that we um, have the ability to be truly appreciative for all that we have. And I think that's a really good thing to be able to say, I'm grateful for what I have. I'm still going to mourn what I lost. But I'm going to rise. I'm going to rise above it, and I'm going to thrive. And that's critically important, I think, in the health and well-being of us all. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And I think, you know, there are a lot of – I mean, it's not adoption is not easy, right? Uh, being an adoptee is not easy. Um, but generally, life isn't easy to begin with. So yeah. I think being an adoptee is one of those things that was like uh, – for me and for a, a lot of people out there, it's – you do have to – you have to come to the occasion. You have to rise above it because you're going to experience a lot of hardships just throughout your life period. And this is one of those things that was like, you can learn from it and move on and, uh, try to learn from your experience or you can like let it weigh you down. Um, with regards to when to tell your kids or, or, you know, sit down and talk with them. I absolutely agree that, you know, earlier is better. I mean, I saw on, uh, one of the subreddits for adoption, on Reddit, somebody who was just devastated. I think she was like 15 or 17, something like that. And the title of the post was like, my parents just told me I was adopted and I'm like 17 years old. And like, I feel like my life is ruined. And I'm just like, mm. I, I like, I, I don't even know what to say to that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. As an adoptee and somebody who also tries to give voice to adoptees, I just like, I, I you know, I've never been in that scenario as a transracial adoptee. It's like, it's pretty clear early on that yeah. you're adopted. Yeah. Um, right. 
But I, I mean, what kind of advice would you give somebody like that who has learned much later in life is having a very hard time uh, kind of coping with that fact? Mm. Well, because their their identity is 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 shattered, right? Who they thought they were, um, all of a sudden they're they're um, I think catapulted into this new reality, and so um, them knowing at a much younger age um, ultimately would have been much healthier, I believe. Uh, so, but that that doesn't take away what what happened, right? So, my, my advice to this person would be um, a to forgive. Um, you just you have to forgive because I think that parents again are are just trying to protect their kids, and maybe they didn't know how to to talk to this person, their their child, their daughter about it, and and perhaps it was done in, from a very loving space. Um, but probably not the healthiest space. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say is to forgive and um, forgive your parents. And, and then you, you've got to, she's got to take time to oh, digest it all. Right. I mean, that's a big thing to all of a sudden you're, you're, you're awakened to this reality that you are indeed adopted. So I think taking time with that mm -hmm. would be key. I think journaling would be so key. You got to let it out. If you're feeling angry, you need to talk to someone, whether it's your the parents, whether it's, you know, a therapist, whether it's a friend, whether it's your, you know, your your journal that you're going to you're going to write in. You got to let those feelings out. The worst thing in the world would be to keep them bottled up. I think real conversations with the parents would be um, absolutely critical. Why didn't you tell me earlier? What were you afraid of? What was it that you were trying to hide? Was there something you were trying to hide? What did you think like that it might be um, like for me, uh, knowing that at some point in my life I would find out? Because that can't be um, held a secret forever. I mean, eventually yeah. the truth will will find you. And so I think you know having real conversations with the parent would be very, very essential and, and key, but also forgiving them, doing it from a very loving space and mm -hmm. hoping that they can do the same. Because all in all, you know, for me, I'm an advocate for the child, whether they're seven or 17 or 70. I'm an advocate for children of adoption, persons of adoption. And I go back to the truth. We, we must be given the truth because it's our truth. You see, it's no one else's truth. It's our truth. And that has to be shared with us from the very beginnings. And if it's not, um, like in my case, you know, I, I always knew I was adopted, but there was still a lot of forgiveness that had to happen. Forgiveness of my birth parents and, and loving them for who they are and not trying to judge um, the decisions they made because that doesn't help anyone. Letting some of that baggage go so that I can clear the path to be healthy, whole, um, fulfilled Michelle, which is what we want for every adoptee. We want them to live um, in abundance and not stuck in the struggle of something that happened to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's one of these things we talk about. We say, you know, you have to forgive and to confront your parents in a non or not confront. I would say talk with them in a non-confrontational way. That's right. Those Dialogue. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's going to be difficult, I think. I, I, I don't want to de-stress how difficult it's going to be on the adoptee and on the parents as well. And as an adoptee, how hard it is to forgive. Uh, it's it's very difficult. and It's a very long process that's not going to happen overnight, whether it be with first your adoptive parents or your biological parents or the country or your culture or any of that or the uh, the process of adoption or the method through which you were adopted, whether it be an agency or a church or whatever. Right. Um, a lot of those things can be seen, you know, as uh, stigmas or obstacles or things that you need to get through. And yeah, it definitely takes a lot. I would say an outlet. Yeah. It's, it's super important when I was growing up. Uh, journaling was very important. Writing, creative writing was very important to me as an yeah. outlet continues to be to this day. And I think it's a very healthy way of kind of getting that out there. Uh, and all that bad energy out. And it makes it easier to clear your mind and forgive and things like that. At least in my case, it was. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so key. And, you know, you it's just the kindest thing. I always ask myself, how can I be kinder to myself in this way? How can I, how can I um, separate what happened to me from, you know, who I am? 
you know, because the labels that I was given in foster care in England, the judgments that were made, they, they were by people who didn't have a clue about who I am mm-hmm. or who I was at the time. And so they were judging me, but that doesn't mean that they know me. And so when these things happen, when we're in situations, if we're in an orphanage or foster care, and there's a lot of labels that are attached to those things, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with who we are as human beings. It has nothing to do with the potential that we offer the world. It has nothing to do with those things. And so when we're able to dialogue within ourselves or with others about our feelings, we literally clear the path for potential to live, for us to to set the seeds of our purpose and to root ourselves in our true identity. And from there, you know, the sky's the limit. But when we're told who we are, when we're told what we should or should not know about our own truth, that is not a place where, you know, anything good can grow. And so I urge people to be real, be honest with your children of adoption. You know, don't don't hide from it. Let's talk about it. And, you know, those who are adopted, let it out. Let it out. Love yourself enough not to keep it bottled in. Boy, I kept it bottled in, and that was not a loving thing to do. I didn't know that at the time. Mm. I thought it was the safe thing to do, but it wasn't because it hurt me. You know, it hurt me deep 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 down so the most loving thing we can do is talk about it let it out let it go and move forward we have so much to teach the world i'm telling you you know that we mm-hmm. do we are an amazing community of people we have to rise up <laughs> so inspirational yeah we have to rise up you know so you're I- saying that you uh you kind of bottled up all these negative things and feelings yeah. deep down inside of you, did they manifest in any like bad way or was it just kind of like you just cry to yourself that night very softly or something? Well, I, I, I do know that for a long time I didn't feel like I had a voice. And so I can remember having feelings that I would just, ch- I would choke off before they came out of my mouth because I was mm-hmm. so afraid. So I think it caused, it did cause me um, in some way to live on a level of emotional fear. You know, like how much of yourself do you show people? Um, I think perfection was a big thing with me because I really truly believe that if you weren't perfect, um, you would get sent back. So, you know, I wanted to be the best at everything. I wanted to be the, have the best grades. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be perfect. And I think that would put a lot of pressure on me. Um, ultimately, you know, um, early on, I was diagnosed with, um, uh, thyroid disease, autoimmune disease. Mm. And I, I'm a firm believer that that was triggered by my inability to share my truth at a very young age. I believe that was just everything got so stopped and choked off right here. Mm-hmm. And um, I, there's no, there's, I really believe there is absolute connection when we are not um, ensuring that you know, our inner garden is being nurtured and nourished when we're stripping it away and depleting ourselves and telling ourselves in our mind that we don't have a voice, that we don't matter, that we just need to stay in the shadows, that we could get these, we might be sent back or whatever the story is in our head um, that is produced by the circumstances we were in as kids. Um, I, I think the body then starts reacting to that on a physical level. Um, I have done so much healing just through loving myself again. And I've done so much healing through writing and sharing my truth. And so it is a powerful thing. And yes, I believe when we keep things in, um, we do a lot of damage to ourselves, mind, body, and soul. So we, we can't do that anymore. We gotta, we gotta share our stories. We gotta share our truths. Yeah. Well, that's certainly what this show is about. Yeah. <laughs> well, when did you start doing that? Because it sounds like you did that for a very long time. You bottled it all up and you didn't really want to let it out or share your feelings or acknowledge that truth because you were kind of obsessed with this idea of perfectionism and yeah. hiding all these things, hiding the demons. So mm-hmm. like, when did you start trying to get it out in a healthy way? Well, you know, I was in television news for about 12 years and that was a real, uh, something that I, um, loved doing, but, um, at the same time, I think I was doing, I think I was in that line of business, um, perhaps, um, again, because I, I wanted 
to be the best in it. You know, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna have the, always be the best, right? And I was gonna have this, uh, shining career in television news, what I really love to do. And, um, as I, as I spent time in that, in that place, I began to feel, um, this, I don't know, a voice inside of me just saying, you're not doing what you're really here to do. So we can be successful doing something. I was doing television news and I was good at it, but I wasn't being who I'm truly here to be. And there's a difference. Yeah. And so there was a voice inside of me saying, um, this is not satisfying you because this is not who you really are. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was about that time that I was really struggling um, with my health. I just didn't feel good. And I um, ended up going to um, see a, a doctor of alternative medicine, and I started going deeper. In other words, um, I would, what if, if I went um, to talk to a, a, a doctor, maybe of Western medicine, I would get a prescription for a, a pill to take to keep my thyroid regulated. Sure, yeah. Um, but I was still feeling bad, and I was still, I was still, I wasn't well. And so I, I began doing a lot of inner work and, um, I began realizing that I had the power to heal so much of what was broken inside of me. And it, it would take me being willing to forgive, being willing to let go and being willing to step into, um, the truth of who I am. And so that was the journey I went on. And I was, you know, I I was an adult. I was, you know, um, I was an adult, so I went through all my teen years and college and all of that, really not knowing um, how to love myself in that way and how to stand up in my truth. And so it was through that process of healing a thyroid. (laughs) Thank goodness for that. And looking back, I'm literally grateful for it. But it 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 was during that time. And during the process of healing on a deeper level mm-hmm. that um, I learned how to be and not do. And I learned how to be at ease and not at dis-ease with myself. Because, you know, I learned that's what disease is. I'm, I'm at dis-ease inside of me. Mm-hmm. Why is that? And I want to ask myself those questions, right? Yeah. Why do I feel so at dis-ease with who I am. Oh, okay. I'm not going to blame anybody. If I blame them, I'm going to blame them beautifully. I'm going to say, thank you. I learned from that, but now let me step into my truth. And, um, it, it did, it did wonders for, for my physical health as well as my mental and emotional health for sure. Well, great. So what, what kind of alternative medicine, when you say that, what, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, well, um, okay. So for me, and um, it was all, you know, I learned that I uh, was highly allergic to gluten and dairy. Oh, okay. So I had, I went completely off of those mm-hmm. things and I haven't been on them for many, many years now. It turned my health around. Uh, meditation, quieting the mind, mm-hmm. um, and affirmations, um, you know, reminding myself that I am a miracle just like you, just like everyone out there. Um, but we succumb to, to what the world wants us to be and what the world thinks we are, what the world thinks we're capable of. This is just mm-hmm. my opinion again. Um, but I do believe in a kinder way of being. And I think that is seeing the, seeing the hope and the promise within every human and seeing the hope and the promise within myself and in the work that I do, extending that message to, to children who feel pretty hopeless and um, pretty worthless because they've been treated within a system in a way that's just not even humane. Yeah. You know, how do we expect children to grow up into healthy adults when they've been moved from foster home to foster home to foster home to foster home? How do we, how do we expect um, the next generation to, to shine their light in this world? It's impossible. It's impossible unless we reach out to them and tell them that this way is not the way. Um, and they have the power to find their way. Yeah. They really do. So you leave, did you end up leaving TV news behind and you start getting involved yeah. in this work then? I did. I did. I, um, I'll tell you a quick story. I was once, um, on air on the anchor desk and I was reading a a breaking news story and, um, it was about, um, uh, uh, parents, um, 
who had been found murdered in their home and that they had a suspect had been arrested mm -hmm. and it was the adult son of, of this couple. But as the teleprompter came down, this was breaking news. I had not had the chance to review it prior to going on the right. air. Every time it referred to the son, it said he was the adopted son of the adopted oh. son of has been, you know, arrested. Um, and I thought, well, why isn't he just the son of? Right. Why, why is that needed? Why do we need to know that? Yeah, there's like an you know? inference there. And it was almost as if, oh, well, you know, okay, well, you know, this is the adopted son. And I felt like in that moment, a voice went into my head that said, are you, you know, are you part of the problem? Are you a solution mm -hmm. to the problem? And I realized at that time, you know what, I, I have learned a lot in this, uh, in this industry. I'm grateful for it, but I need to start using what I've learned for good. And I need sure. to reach out and be a voice for, for this because, we, you know, adopted or not, you know, um, I, you just, I, I just had a real problem with that. That set really, yeah. um, really hard on my heart. Um, because I felt it was such a judgment that was being made. Right. Um, and it, 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 it really, it, it really socked me in the gut. So, um, making that shift from news to what I'm doing now, I just feel like I'm a positive voice now. I, I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to be a messenger of negativity. I want to be a messenger of positivity and a messenger of hope. Mm -hmm. So at that point in your career, you hadn't really told anybody that you were adopted yet. You just kind of, it was still, you're still in that stage of keeping it all a secret and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like because of that and with the story and everything like that, even the word adoption or adopted was stigmatized? Uh -huh. And yeah. that kind of spoke to you, it sounds like. It did. It spoke to me in a big way that there was such a stigma and such a myth and that was being perpetuated in a way that was so unhealthy. Um, even in the movie industry, I mean, how many times yep. I'll take my children to see a, a fun movie and they'll, there'll be a line in of her like, well, maybe you're adopted or something in a way that's just negative or sure. stigma, you know, like you said, stigmatized. And, mm -hmm. and I almost want to just like cover my kids ears, you know, and like take the words back. And well, we have conversation about it and that's a hard conversation to have because we have to, I think as a society, be really careful with the words we use and how we use them. You know, there's a big population of people out there who are adopted and it's not a bad thing. It's nothing that should be um, uh, stigmatized. It's nothing that should be um, uh, connected with shame or um, darkness, you know, and so shining a light on it, I think just like you're doing is key. And we shine a light, how? By telling our stories and speaking up and um, and doing it in a way that is real and raw and um, filled with, I think, just the the intention of saying, "Hey, we're in this together. We're yeah. in this together." So, how did you start getting involved in the work that you're in now? You just woke up at that anchor desk. You said, "I'm done here. I'm doing this now." <laughs> yeah, I literally did. I I I I just said, I I've got to find a different way. I've got to. I've got to be a messenger for good. I and and there are people out there like me who are hurting. And oh, guess what? At the time, I was hurting too. So part of it was, if I'm going to write about it, I need to, I need to do it in a very truthful way. But I also need to be able to say, hey, guess what? I'm hurting too, mm -hmm. and I'm confused. And so I'm not writing. And I never try to write from a place that says I have all the answers. Because guess what? I don't. <laughs> But I will promise um, the reader that I'm going to let you know that we are in it together. And it is a journey. And you know what? It's a never-ending journey. You know, when when the adoption paperwork is signed, that's just the beginning. You know? That's the beginning. And we have to understand that, you know, as an adoptive parent, as, a, as an adoptee, I know from my own personal experience, it's a never ending journey. I found a brother that I never knew I had five years ago. <laughs> and so, you know, and you may have had those experiences too. I don't know where, um, you know, people come into your lives that you didn't know mm -hmm. before. Um, and how do you make space for that? And how do you, um, how do you work that out in your head and in your heart and, 
and and how do you live in a way that's open, arms wide open, knowing that because of this experience of living in this skin as an adoptee, um, you know, it, it is such it is such a path and a journey that um, the surprises are seem to me, at least in my experience, have always been kind of right around the corner. <laughs> yeah. So, you, so can you describe the work that you're doing a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Well, you know, I, um, of course, I write books on adoption mm -hmm. and I do it in a way that um, I, I hope is very inclusive. Um, the two books that I currently have out, I'm, I'm grateful for because I, I know that they're helping a lot of people. I blog very honestly about my experiences as an adoptee and as an adoptive parent. Uh, on my blog site, michellemadridbranch.com, we also have a, um, a page called The Quilt of Life. And for me, you know, growing up, I never liked that tree, the family tree. I, mm -hmm. I was always confused about that because for me, I didn't come from this singular sort of root, you know, and you can yeah. put, you know, all, all the branches are filled with different family members. Right. I felt like I was more like a quilt where, you know, this one piece of fabric comes from over here and it has its own texture and tone and color and story. And then it's threaded together with this other piece of fabric. To me, adoption was always about that. And I used to call it my quilt of life. Um, and so um, we have a page on my site called The Quilt of Life. And we invite people to write their stories, submit their stories mm -hmm. about foster care and adoption. And to do it in a way that is... Um, just so real and so truthful and we honor them and we share their stories. And I tell you, it's so wonderful to see the impact that it has and how people join our community just in this, uh, I think this collective effort of being heard and being seen in ways that they've never felt before. Um, I speak on the topic, you know, I'm, I'm a big, um, advocate of adoption and identity and talking about, you know, nature, nurture, and, you know, that lifelong journey to self. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big topic. I think identity is key in allowing adoptees to um, stand in their truth and in their own identity is important. So between speaking and blogging and writing and just continuing to quilt together this beautiful community, I hope to, you know, I think, uh, make a, a positive dent in where we are and where we're going. Great. Yeah. And uh, I see here you have uh, the Greater Than Project, the documentary web series. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. You know, I um, when I was in Ethiopia um, adopting my daughter, Eviana, uh, I was really taken with uh, the plight of women there. And um, I was standing in the orphanage one day and it was, it was actually the first day and Eviana was placed in my arms and was given the story, a little bit of the background story um, of her early, earliest life. And she had been abandoned and the stranger who found her as just a little baby gave her a name, Tibilet, and um, it's Ethiopian name and it means let her be greater. And so I really at that moment in Ethiopia started pondering, you know, what does greatness mean for me? What does it mean for women to access a place of greatness within them? What does it mean for all of us, man and woman alike, to access a place of greatness within them? And where does that come from? For, for me, it's rooted in my faith. Um, because I know when I go to that place, I, it's very clear what my purpose is and what I'm here to do and who I really am. And so I, I started um, using my, my television news background um, I started a web series interviewing women on their challenges, um, what they've overcome, and what they've learned about themselves through the hard times and, and how they've grown greater than the obstacle. And so that is um, the Greater Than Project, and it's just a lovely, lovely um, expression and a place for women to um, share their truth once again and stand in the truth of who they are. Where can you find that? 
That is on YouTube, The Greater Than Project, and you can also find it on my website, michellemadridbranch.com. And we're going to do more of that. You know, we're going to talk to, um, uh, you know, women who have um, a, an adoption connection. It's, you know, it's, it's important to talk to birth mothers. It's important to talk to, uh, to adoptive mothers, adoptees, as well as women who have been and faced other challenges. We had an incredible young woman who faced um, life or death in, in a uh, tragic car accident and how mm. she's come back from a place where um, she was not even expected to live. Um, a woman who um, survived a domestic abuse. Um, that's a real issue that women need to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I think how we see ourselves and what we allow um, to happen to us in, in sometimes of a way of, of not feeling worthy enough to be loved in the way that mm. we should be. Um, and a woman who, you know, uh, I recently spoke to who, you know, never thought marriage was going to happen to her. It was like the thing that she wanted most. And um, it just seemed like it wasn't going to happen. And and um, her sort of journey to finding that person who is her soulmate and the love of her life. So I think the the bottom line for, for it is um, the Greater Than Project and what I'm doing in general is that our stories are so diverse but from each individual story, we learn so much. Our stories may not be exactly alike, um, but there's a wealth of wisdom and learning that we can share with each other if we allow ourselves to. Absolutely. So we've kind of been uh, skirting around the edges here talking about your children. Yeah. Uh, who are adopted as well. How did you come to the conclusion that you want to adopt children yourself as an adoptee? Well, my, my eldest son um, is my, it's, you know, I was biological. I, I even feel funny about saying that. I don't know. He's just, but that's how he came into the world. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, we just knew we wanted, um, um, I just knew I wanted to adopt. And for me, international adoption just seemed very natural because it was the place that I came from. And so, you know, two years after having my first son, we adopted um, our son from Russia, and he's amazing. He is an actor in LA, and he's just an um, incredible little little guy. And then five years after that, we adopted my daughter from Ethiopia. I often say to people, you know, if you commit to adoption, um, surrender to the fact that your child is somewhere in the world. And um, you just have to go to where your child is waiting. So I never had a lot of preconceived notions about necessarily where my children would be as far as what countries. I just knew I would go um, where they were. And that's how it was. Each one was a delightful surprise because we started the processes and uh, we were, you know, sort of led to these places. And it's, it's almost uh, miraculous how it comes together. Great. It's so been I've... a great blessing. It's been a great blessing, I can tell you. And I, I should add, I, I tell women all the time, adoption is delivery. You know, it's it may be a different form of delivery, but it's delivery no less. Mm -hmm. And with it comes, you know, the labor pains and all of it. You are going to feel things physically. You know, um, you're going to experience it. It's it is a delivery. And so look at it like that and, and journey with it like that. It's a beautiful delivery. And at the end of the journey is your child. And that's pretty that's pretty great. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to take your word for it because I, you know, <laughs> I haven't done delivery or adopted, <laughs> but you've done both of those things. So You'll try. Yeah, I've done them both. And, and I can only assume. <laughs> You'll have to trust me on that. Exactly. I, I never want to have to go through childbirth. Personally, I don't think that's high on the possibility list, so I'm just going to have to take your word. <laughs> uh, and then you have, uh, you're working on a book now, you said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is, what is this one uh, going to be about? This one is inspired by uh, my daughter, um, and her adoption from Ethiopia and just that whole concept of greatness and how do we access greatness and what does that mean? And, you know, I, I say to people, you know, your greatness is waiting on you and the world is waiting on it. You know, what are we losing, um, in this world, um, in our, in our society when people don't feel safe even to stand in their truth and shine their, share their individual greatness and the purpose, their individual purpose for why they're here. And so I want to help, uh, I want to help people get there. I want them to understand that there is a greatness that we are
each born with and accessing that is uh, such a powerful such a powerful thing and then giving yourself permission to let that shine and being confident in the fact that this is my purpose and understanding that your purpose is not going to be someone else's purpose it's yours and yours alone being okay with that and and, and experiencing you know the being of who you are how you how you shine and share your purpose you know, that, that's the doing of it, right? Um, and, and, and that can come in different forms, right? But understanding your purpose is tied directly to being. Mm-hmm. And so I want to help people understand that um, it, it's a tragedy to look back on your life and say, I, I, really, I really never answered the questions, who am I really and what am I really here to do? That's a tragedy. Let's help people get there now. Yeah. And so you also mentioned uh, very briefly that you uh, have been in contact with your uh, biological brother that you found five years ago. Uh, how did mm-hmm. that come to be? Um, well, I am, you know, I have a, a relationship with my bio, uh, my bio mom in the UK. My bio father passed away. Um, but in learning of his passing, I learned that I had a brother. And that's been five years ago now. And um, my brother learned that he had a sister. And so here he was. Uh, my brother had lost both of his parents. His mother died um, when he was young. Um, and now he had lost um, his father, my father. And he thought he was, you know, alone in the world. And uh, he discovered that he has a sister. And so for us, I think it was... Uh, I think it was just a powerful moment of of knowing that there was someone else in the world. For me, it's been lovely because when I see him, I see I see my dad, and when he sees me, he sees his dad. And I think um, that sharing has been a very poignant and profound experience for both of us. Um, we are, um, I don't know, we just kind of get along like we never skipped a beat. It's really interesting. Um, and I, I'm enjoying the relationship very much. We don't talk, you know, we don't talk daily. Sometimes we go weeks without connecting, but there is a connection that we have just knowing that the other is in the world. And I think that's a a lovely thing. Yeah. That's great to hear. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else that, uh, you want to share with the world before, uh, we kind of finish up here? Well, I really, number one, thank you for what you do. I mean, thank you so much for being a voice. Thank you for caring, you know, because, uh, we can just go on our on our way and and um, I, I think not understand that we we need each other we we need each other as an adoption community. Um, I would just say to those out there who are adopted, oh my gosh, love yourself, celebrate yourself um, and and see that you are so worthy whatever your your story is as far as what happened to you um, again it's not who you are and so making that separation and that um, distinction is so key, um, and 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 learn from it. Um, forgive and go out and and live because we want to hear from you. And I would also say, come to my website if you want to share your story at Quilt of Life at michellemadridbranch.com. Come share your story. There's a submission page. We would love to hear from you. Um, it, it means so much. And together we grow stronger. Story by story, we grow stronger. So share your story. Are you on uh, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or anything? Yeah. Uh, Facebook um, at Let Her Be Greater. And my Twitter is at Let Her Be Greater. I'm on Instagram as Michelle Madrid Branch and Pinterest as well. So I love connecting with people. I truly do. And um, I, I, I do my best to always um, answer any questions or comments in timely ways because I want people to know that um, truly I'm here and I'm accessible in that way. And um, that's, that's important. We all need to um, have that understanding that we are um, understood I think that's important. Um, it's good to understand and it's good to be understood as well. And so I'm here to, to do both. So, you know, I want to be understood. I, I want, I want people, I want to feel like I can share my story and be understood, of course, but I want people to understand that I'm here to understand and to stand with them along their journey. And thank you for doing that. And thank you for all that you do. Thank you for coming on the show. I think a lot of the advice that you have been uh, espousing today has been good advice for anybody adopted or not just to, 
you know, forgiving yourself, forgiving others, and uh, living well. So I appreciate all of that. Again, thanks for coming on the show. Okay, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. An honor. All right. Bye. Alright, and that was my conversation with Michelle. I want to thank Michelle for coming on the show. You can follow her on Twitter. You can find her on Pinterest. You can follow her on Facebook. And you can always do the same for me. You can send me an email if you'd like to be on the show. My email, of course, is therambleradhd at gmail.com. Send me an email if you want to be on the show. Please, please send me an email or just some words of encouragement if you like the show or general comments and concerns that you might have or whatever, whatever. You can do the same thing on Twitter. I am at the Rambler ADHD on Twitter, and I also have a Facebook page that you can like me on. Go to facebook.com slash the Rambler ADHD, and you can like my page there and share it with friends and follow all my exploits as I explore Iceland this week with Anne. You're going to enjoy that, I think. Uh, also, music today provided by The Bell at Needle Drop Records. And to Collective Effort, they're at SoundCloud.com. You can just search for Collective Effort Music, and you can check out all of their tunes, not just the current one that you are hearing right now and that you hear every week when this goes out on Sundays, as it does this week from Iceland, but usually from New York. Uh, and join us next week when I have my conversation with uh, Emily Kessel, who's kind of leading the charge over there for NACASEC. NACASEC. They're uh, working on the Adoptee Citizenship Act. So you can enjoy that next week on The Rambler. All right. In the meantime, you guys enjoy your week. Uh, I I think that it's probably not going to be as awesome as mine here in Iceland. But hey, that's okay. Maybe you are. Maybe you are having an amazing week somewhere else like, uh, like Italy or Amsterdam. Could be doing other things like that. Who knows? Who knows what the, the possibilities are endless here in the world. You might be even having adventures of your own at home. Probably nothing with, you know, gnomes and trolls or elves or Icelandic horses, but you never know. Maybe I have a listener in Iceland. I don't know. Anyways, you guys have yourselves a great week. I will talk to you guys next week uh, back in New York with a better microphone that I usually use. All right. You guys enjoy. Peace out. Someone's written